Hi, Bill. How are you doing today? Robin, long time no see. I'm doing good, man. How you been? I'm fantastic. We're recording this on the 31st of October, oh, not to date thing. the episode. So yes. it's very spooky. You know, the veil is thinning, the dead are coming across, and we're being Oof. more in tune with our spirits. And when I say spirits, I'm not meaning whiskey. Yeah, not the drinking kind. No, no. <laughs> so what scary things do you have for us today? Well, Robin, one of the things I need to learn how to do is I've got to stop reading news at night before I go to bed because it is scary. There's a lot going on right now. And I, I would tell you that it's not that I fall asleep in a state of fear, but I get so fascinated with all the things that are going on that I, I just I, I can't. I can't shut it off, but, uh, you know, one that is, it's really, as they say, as the kids would say, that's really popping right now mm -hmm. is, uh, solar winds. And the fact that the, uh, the security and exchange commission here in the U S actually plans to file charges against the CISO at solar winds for the, the breach that happened several years back. I mean, wow. that's. Wow. Right. You want to you want to talk about uh, really questioning what you put on the resume and where you apply. That's a big one. Right. That's that's big. Indeed. But, indeed. This is going back, what, three years now when we had that SolarWinds Orion sunburst attack? Or was it yeah, that? exactly. Remember, that was a big supply chain compromise. Right. That was we we. The attribution went to the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service. Uh, again, that's just the attribution that it went to. But the as things have moved forward, what the Securities and Exchange Commission is saying is that the CISO overstated the cybersecurity practices, basically giving a false sense of security, uh, and and understated or didn't didn't disclose any of the cyber risks that were involved. So they're, they're basically, you know, we're getting real close to, to fraud here. Right. I mean, that's, that's essentially what they're, what they're trying to charge is that, uh, you know, the CISO defrauded the shareholders, the stakeholders, right. Everybody that was involved with that, let alone the customers. And, and of course this goes to reputation again, right here, here, here is the, it's hard to quantify the, the damage there. But that's that's what we're looking at right now. Now, if you recall, this did have a pretty severe ripple, right? I mean, the the threat actor was able to infiltrate not only several very large uh, organizations, but even governmental agencies, right? So that this was uh, they were successful in 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 what they did. So it, it's real. The problem is that the CISO. Uh, the the question is is you know the CISO's role in disclosure and the fact that the CISO even had direct reports that said hey you know they didn't really disclose we're not we we're not a security company so I think I think in the end what this causes me to question is where is the CISO in the reporting structure of an organization. And Robin, I, I actually ask that a lot when I meet other CISOs because th th there's a funny saying about CISOs that, that, that goes, you know, as CISOs, we put the no in innovation, right? <laughs> uh, so 
is that realistic? I mean, is that is is that truly where the CISO's role is in the organization? So I like to ask that because a lot, you know, I'll hear a variety of answers to it as well. Some CISOs say, you know, I report to the CIO, I report to the the CTO. Uh, I've even come across CISOs that say that they report to the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer, right? Uh, which is a, certainly an interesting spot to be. Or maybe a chief legal officer or, or general counsel. Uh, I think I had one that even told me chief risk officer is, is who they reported to. But I have heard some that report at the CEO level, that that's where they are in the organization. Mm-hmm. So my next question, Robin, is are you an advisory CISO or are you an executive CISO? Oh, that's a good one. Right? Many different flavors, many different Certainly. groups. Are you the person actually doing stuff or talking about doing stuff? Right, right. Well, and, you know, there's a there's a, a kind of a pool of wisdom that says that, that CISO should be more advisory. I, I think what it really boils down to in, in my mind is who actually signs off on risk acceptance? That's really what this is sort of boiling down to, right? If, if, if the CISO has the capability of, of signing off on that risk acceptance or that risk maintenance, they, they really are performing a much more executive role than an advisory role, right? Uh, an advisory role obviously being to inform those executives that, uh, you know, here is where residual risk lives. Are we good with maintaining that risk as a part of our organization? Uh, you know, that I think that's really where the rubber kind of meets the road. And it's kind of funny. They, they've done surveys of, of uh, you know, executives and said, should a CISO be an executive or they, should they be an advisor? And although many of them, in fact, I think the the majority of them, if not the vast majority, say that the CISO should just be an advisor. But when you follow on the question with, should the CISO be held personally responsible in the event of a breach uh, and, and have actual civil liability, fiscal liability, they say yes. Wait a minute here. Uh, if we're serving in an advisory role uh, and and executives are making the decisions, then you know how is that personal liability filtering down? So, really, I, I think from a CISO's perspective, and certainly that I think this is the case here with with Solar Winds, the CISO really needs to be very capable at demonstrating due diligence and due care. And I think that's what we're seeing here with this. And and to SolarWinds credit, maybe, maybe not, right? But SolarWinds is actually defending their CISO, even stating that, that these kinds of charges, listen to this, Robin, I'd love to know if you agree with this. SolarWinds is saying that these types of charges from the SEC are actually putting national security at risk. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because it alarms cybersecurity pros and makes them much less likely to engage at leadership levels because of the risk of personal liability. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I think people are trying to shift the blame to find who's engaging. Sure. It's like you're blaming the person who identifies your shop as being broken into. Right. Like if you're going to start penalizing people for taking that risk, if you're going to try penalizing people for directly addressing a problem, then people won't address anything at all. That's right. But, but as far as this SolarWinds issue uh, 
is focused on. It's more of a fraud issue instead of a mm. throwing your hands up and admitting defeat. Right. This is just from a cursory glance at the SEC article itself. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think you're characterizing it perfectly. And, and again, some of what makes this complicated is that some of that, uh, I, I guess we'll call it damning evidence or that damning data came from not only subordinates to the CISO, but even internal documents. Uh-oh. Right. So now we've got a little bit of a paper trail and, you know, what kind of risk was being accepted or ignored or, or more importantly, like you said, misrepresented, which, yeah, there you're really crossing into a very dangerous place. Listen, all in all, and I, I hate to distill it so much here, but when, when these are the kinds of considerations that we need to keep as cybersecurity leadership, you know, whether it be in the CISO role as an advisor, whether it be, you know, something very edgy and executive or, or even kind of at the director level, the simplification of security, the actual act of securing, you know, your, your corporate uh, assets, your corporate culture, all those things, simplification of that is going to increasingly be so important. And it's more than just a cost savings on FTEs. It's providing very effective platforms for governance and risk management. I mean, that's really what this is all about. You need to have an effective platform to do that so that you are able to spend that time on doing that due diligence, on on demonstrating, uh, you know, due care and, and documenting that for things like regulators. And, and, and frankly, transparency is key, right? In, in, in that role, transparency is absolutely key. So whether you're an advisor, whether you're an executive, uh, whether you're a CISO or you're a director or, you know, an infrastructure manager, really that transparency is going to be key. Let the business make the decisions and, and make sure that that is documented well, because as we can see, the implications of not doing that, of, of potentially defrauding stakeholders can be very direct they can be very personal. And so I, I think it's very interesting to make sure that you take a look at your governance tool set, look at your control catalogs, look at the things that you bring to bear from a security perspective, simplify as much as possible while, of course, maintaining the security posture that you want, and then have that transparency. Be open, be advisory, demonstrate due diligence and due care, and make sure that you are not only doing things in the best interest of your organization, but we have to keep the stakeholders in mind as well. So this is a very important lesson that we're, we're getting from this instance. And if you're going to commit risk, don't leave a paper trail, don't commit to anything in email. <laughs> right. You know, if, if you know you're going to be defrauding people, be smart about it. Come on. Mm, yeah. I mean, check your end to end encryption, <laughs> unless you live in certain places where it's, you can't have that anymore, but that's now I'm just poking the scab, right? <laughs> Shouldn't <laughs> talk about that. Well, it's fun to be in the UK, put it that yeah, way. Yeah, it is. It is. Hey, listen, <laughs> so I know that that was very high level. I, I have a feeling our listeners might like something a little more technical. Um, do you have anything for us that, that you can talk about today, Ron? Oh, I've got tons, Bill. But today, let's talk about Cisco. Since you were po you were you were poking one vendor, I'll poke another. Oh, my goodness, I know yeah. it's dangerous. So, as we've often observed, you can sometimes see bad vulnerabilities come out there. Like bad vulnerabilities often have a CVSS score, and CVSS, Common Vulnerability Scores, I forget what the other S means. System. 
system score, thank you. They're generally rated between like 0 and 10. And bad ones are generally rated with a score of 9.8, and that's often as high as it goes. And even then, 9.8 as a rating is quite difficult to earn. And honestly, I respect the hesitation to go any higher, because mm. you reserve any assignment of 9.9 or 10 for those really just too horrible to believe problems. So this means that Cisco's recent award of a CVSS of 10.0 really does mean something. So Cisco is out there with a big 10s around the board, a perfect 10, a gymnastic gold. <laughs> now, you might be thinking, what does that mean? I mean, it means that overnight, quite literally overnight, more than 42,000 of Cisco's high-end publicly exposed internet routers and switches were compromised and taken over. That's right. And since the threat researchers looking into this issue believe that it has spread, and it spread so far, Bill, that I run a handy-dandy showdown search before this call, mm -hmm. and I saw 142,000 exposed devices which are vulnerable to this CVE, this 10.0. Mm. Now, wow. bear in mind, this is what the 10s are reserved for. This is what the dangers are. And there's so many different devices out there which are potentially on fire right now. Now, don't worry, I'll, I'll double click into it. Oh, double click. That's management BS. <laughs> oh, we'll <laughs> get deeper in. Oh, I did it. I did it. I, I'm moving away from the, the front lines, Bill. Uh, I know it happens. I'm, lo I'm losing connection with my, my roots. So if we were to cycle back, now, the first known instances of this attack was done against Cisco's internet operating system, iOS, not to be confused with Apple iOS That's right. in September. Now, this vulnerability, which has allocated the lovely title of CVE 2023, we know a common vulnerability or exposure in 2023, with the ID of 20198. Now, this CVE is still unpatched as of the time of recording and it allows remote, unauthenticated attackers to fully take over affected systems. Now, to be vulnerable, the Cisco, Cisco iOS XE devices have to be running a HTTPS server providing the web user interface, which right. honestly is not an uncommon configuration. It's not uncommon, yeah. No, you generally have the option of doing everything via the terminal, or you use the web UI. And I would say a lot of people rely on the web UI to click and configure because sure. often it's easier than having a 600 page user manual. Right. Now, Cisco Talos, the research team, note that the successful exploitation of this CVE would grant an attacker, and wait for it, Bill, full administrator privilege, allowing them to effectively take full control, full uh. control, allowing possible subsequent unauthorized activity. Wow. Now, what, here's the scary part, not the fact that everybody has access, the company, Cisco, said that in an October the 16th security advisory that it had found evidence of the vulnerability during the resolution of multiple Cisco TAC support cases. Mm -hmm. So this isn't something that was identified like many CVEs in very strict lab testing where right. somebody is running through potentials. This is happening in the wild. That's Their right. customers are raising tickets with Cisco support and Cisco support are panicking and going, actually, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, th uh, th this exists. <laughs> this is realistic. Um, I want to make it clear for the listeners, Bill, that Cisco IO iOS XE is a software that runs on most Cisco routers and switches out there. Right. Now, uh, the, the purpose of this software, and Cisco themselves say that it's to allow their users to automate the mundane day-to-day -day operations across 
basic things like switching, routing, and wireless network devices. Right. So when you give the keys of the castle over to a malicious threat actor, the mundanity of automating these privileges become anything but. Sure. Bill, if I gave you full admin privileges to my router and you can have full administrative control, what would you do? Oh, what fun I could have, right? So in essence, I become uh, an adversary in the middle for you. I have full control of your traffic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there's uh, denial of service as possible. There's the, the possibilities are endless, Robin. Indeed. I was hoping you'd say you'd review my configuration and fix some of those pesky ACLs. Allow VLAN trunk 100 everywhere. You sure, know, just really sure. open up that network. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, if we look at threat, threat maps, we can see that limited attacks have been happening since around September the 18th. Right. However, as you mentioned with the SolarWinds problem, the increased attention of this advisory have actually led to more threat actors aggressively mm. exploiting this problem. I think we know why, right? I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, this is a huge high value problem and sure. the exploit is really easy to do. So if I was to tell you there was diamonds in a treasure chest at the end of your garden, you're going to go to that, that treasure chest. You're going to grab a few diamonds. If you oh, don't right. know the treasure chest is there, you'll ignore it and you'd walk of past course. it day of on course. day. Well, I think there's a sense of urgency too, Robin. If you tell me you're going to go pick that that chest up in a week, then I'm going to hurry up out there and, and get it as quick as I can. So yeah, the, the fact that it's become public mm-hmm. now, it becomes an urgent exploit for threat actors to use before it goes away. So yeah, I get exactly. that. Exactly. We've gone down to the, the village billboard and we said this diamond exists and it's the first comes first serve. So everybody is swarming. That's right. Now, what is rare about this bill is that Cisco really isn't silent on the, uh, silent on the matter. Often with these high-profile CVEs, the vendor themselves become quite quiet. They, they're in panic mode. They try and shut down all of their borders, and it's up to third parties to come and disclose. But I have to give credit where credit's due. Cisco have been very open. They've, Definitely. They've put out an advisory. They said that there's an active exploitation of a previous unknown vulnerability in the web UI, and it also says that it can be problematic if you're exposed to the internet or untrusted networks. Right. Now, the mitigation, Cisco strongly recommends, and I'll read the words verbatim here, Cisco strongly recommends that customers disable the HTTP server feature on all internet-facing systems. To disable the HTTP server feature, use the no IP HTTP server or no IP HTTP server secure command in global configuration mode. Now, bear in mind, if both commands are in use, they have to disable both. Now, if you are in an organization that has several of these Cisco boxes around, think of, well, the mitigation is easy, but think of the levels of approval you need to do. Think of right. the levels of change control. Think of the emergency change windows you need to put together. And think of all those poor souls who only know how to configure stuff using the HTTP web there UI and have no idea of the terminal. That's right. Your operational process is completely disrupted if that's how you've been doing things. Especially if you're relying on outsourced companies that are following standard Mm. operating procedures to do stuff. Cisco says the fix is to just turn off off your web servers, which can break so many things. And if, if there's no immediate patch available, if there's no resolution, because this is so high profile, you could be in a position where your network needs to stagnate or you're going to have your tech teams run experimental configuration, which they may have never done before, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. your live production network. Right. Which right. is huge. 
Yes. Now, one thing. Sorry, I'm I'm in monologue mode again. This <laughs> no, is, this is good. Yeah. The thing that scares me, the thing that I find is crazy scary about this bill, is that this is the second zero day vulnerability mm-hmm. in Cisco iOS or iOS That's XE right. found in the wild in less than four weeks. Right. So, I was going to say about a month. Yeah. Yeah. There's another one. There was another one called two hundred one oh nine. If you're following the CVEs, I do remember that one. Yeah. And this was panicking. Now. CVE 2023-20198. That had included, what did Cisco call it? They said there was several substantial or subsequent actions, including a deployment of a simple Cisco service comp file. Now, the configuration file would change the web server endpoint of the URA path and allowed effectively parameters to execute arbitrary commands on a system level or iOS level. So we've got one exploit which allows arbitrary commands at a system level, and we right. have another that is broken on the HTTPS level, allowing threat actors to access. Right. So theoretically, if somebody bypasses the HTTPS, you can jump directly into the device itself and execute a different vulnerability to That's escalate right. your privileges and gain access. Mm. Now, to piggyback on both of these zero-day critical flaws, there was another detection which Cisco came about from a vulnerability identified in 2021. Now, Cisco came out in 2021 and said, here's a patch to fix a problem. However, we found that devices fully patched against that vulnerability are still getting implanted with this malicious configuration file. The Talos Research Group has said that the implant is coming through a yet undetermined mechanism. Oh, my. So within the past month, Cisco have come out and said, your web servers are vulnerable, uh, your system is vulnerable, uh, your, your root is vulnerable, and even if you did some mitigation from a 2021 patch, right. you're also still kind of vulnerable. It is absolute madness out there. It is wow. absolute chaos. CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security a- Agency, have come out with beautiful, beautiful words on how to mitigate it. And they've urged all blue teams, all defender teams, mm-hmm. to apply Cisco's recommendations and hunt for malicious activity. <laughs> Great. Seemed ah, legit. <laughs> yeah. I would have never come up with that on my own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's lip service more than anything. It's wow. ridiculous. You know, Bill, if you're using iOS or iOS XR software at the moment, Honestly, you're probably in for a bad time to try yeah, to make you're vulnerable. Yeah. You're vulnerable. Cisco do not have a resolution apart from shut stuff down. More right. and more threat actors are being aware of it. And hopefully this podcast would lead to more threat actors being aware of it. That's because so. we're all trying to get those likes and subscribes here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> but if you are a network admin right now, I'm I'm sorry for your weekend. I'm sorry for mm. your quarter four. November should be nice and relaxing as you're preparing for change freezes in December, but uh, I don't think it's going to be like that. No, it's not. And, and Robin, you, you just brought a statistic to my mind when you said that, and I, I think the recent survey said it well. 82% of organizations say that networking and security teams are either together or that they should come together. Mm-hmm. So we, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's a network infrastructure component being compromised with severe security impact. Um, yeah, it's going to be a tough weekend. It really is. And to 
bounce back to your point around advisory CISOs or technical CISOs, this sort of thing didn't used to be a huge problem across your organization. Right. But now cybersecurity has to be discussed at the board level. It, it is no longer a nice to have. Cybersecurity is mainly about risk mitigation. So mm. if you are not actively patching, if you're not actively securing, if you're not actively monitoring, then things like this Cisco breach could effectively cripple your entire infrastructure. It certainly it, can. It could lead to ransomware, or it could just lead to some bad actors or some competitors deciding to exploit an open door and cause you pain, uh, especially as we march towards holiday season. We've seen large vendors get locked down before Black Friday, which has significantly hit their business targets. So if your network is vulnerable and we're marching towards busy season in retail and commerce, what are you going to do about it? Mm. What should you do about it? Content delivery network. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call that? Risk transference, right? <laughs> Indeed. Let, let somebody else deal with the problem. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I'm sorry I didn't mean to be such a smarty pants there, but yeah, you're right. That's this is the time of year. Yeah. Uh, indeed, we, we all need a little bit of joy in our lives, but sure. unfortunately right now, if you're the solo in CISO or if you're running Cisco iOS, well, just say the giggles aren't coming thick and fast. No, that's all right. We'll sleep when we're dead, Robin. Absolutely. Well, on that topic, Bill, uh, I'm going to go and chase some skeletons around a graveyard. Very good. Happy, happy Halloween. Happy, Same to you. Happy whatever you celebrate. But until next time, you stay safe out there. Take care, Robin. Bye-bye.